You're listening to Agile Next, the next generation Agile talk show. I'm Daniel Gulo. And I'm Stephen Forte. Each week, we ask industry leaders to share their past experiences with Agile practices and to provide their insights into where Agile is heading to next. The show is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and by visiting our website at www.agilenext.tv. This episode is brought to you by Applebrook Consulting and Fresco Capital. Whatever your Agile needs, Applebrook Consulting can help with training and coaching. Visit our website at www.apple-brook.com. Fresco Capital is a global venture capital firm focusing on entrepreneurs building global businesses. Visit our website at fresco.vc. Episode 26, December 8th, 2016. Today on our show, our guest is Dave West. Dave is the CEO of Scrum.org. He's also co-author of Head First, Object-Oriented Analysis and Design. Welcome to the show, Dave. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Daniel. So you've had a long, distinguished career in Agile. Tell us a little bit about your experiences and maybe highlight some of the, the best and, and worst of, of your experiences over the last few years. So does distinguished mean that I'm old? I guess I guess it does. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was taught agile much to Ken's annoyance by Jeff, uh, and uh, and it's just funny that yeah I've been working in the agile space for almost uh, I guess 20 years, and before that I was the product manager of something called the Rash Unified Process, or also known as the anti-agile. You know, they're sort of it's used as that. Um, it's told to agile people at uh, bedtime to scare them, you know, there used to be this thing called RUP. And uh, so I've, I've had quite a few interesting experiences around agile. It's funny, um, this year RUP's 21 years old, October the 19th. Um, we're going to have a party. It's going to be fabulous. We'll, you know, uh, Scrum will actually drink um, for the first time. So Scrum is 21 years old. And, you yeah, know, during that time, lots of things have obviously changed in our industry. For instance, uh, I'm currently at uh, Agile 2016 here in uh, sunny. Actually, it's quite cloudy, Atlanta, Georgia, and it's, it's very, very hot. But, and seeing, you know, how it's evolved, seeing what people are talking about, seeing how it's practiced, seeing who's practicing it. I guess Agile's in the sort of late majority. So some of the best things about Agile is the way it's helped teams. I think ultimately the best things I've seen are teams that are wholly sort of dysfunctional with a lot of finger pointing move into uh, an environment where they're only pointing fingers outside the team. Maybe that's a bad thing onto itself and, and a set of problems. But it's really helped unify a lot of the sort of uh, bad characteristics of a specialization of label flow, a waterfall flow, and try to harmonize around teams and the, and the dynamics of teams and try to pull teams together. I think that's great. I also think it's dr driven us towards, and some of the, my best experiences have been with continuous integration, uh, continuous delivery, and it's driven us towards good, high-quality engineering, disciplined engineering practices. Again, to some part because of the lack of handoffs, uh, you actually start actually caring about delivering great, fabulous code. And you know, at Scrum and Scrum.org, we we sort of still talk a lot about code and a lot about software delivery and XP and uh, the Craftsman community, etc. And and I think that's been some of my sort of most exciting, most uh, enjoyable experiences with Agile are around that, the team and the, and the discipline and the great engineering practices and me getting better as, a, as an engineer and as a, as a craftsman, uh, I think has been very, is very, very exciting. 
and and Dave, I've always thought about how uh, you guys at Scrum.org focus a lot on the developer because I've spent my entire career usually as a CTO or VP of engineering kind of a thing, usually at startups where things are very haphazard. And I used to joke at about 15, 16 years ago, then the, you know, right before everyone, before Agile was a thing, I guess, right? As you said, you know, Scrum was, Scrum was a toddler back then. This is probably like the, do, the beginning of the dot-com boom. I say I'm, I'm the CEO, the chief enforcement officer, where I would try to get developers to check in code, do coding reviews, you know, do, you know, I would try to get them to do the things that today we take for granted. And obviously the adoption of agile has, has brought that forward. And I've kind of felt that XP stopped evolving because it had very specific prescription or what engineers should be doing. Yet you just mentioned Scrum's going to be 21 years old, old enough to have some champagne. Um, and it's not prescriptive when it comes to that. So did, did kind of like, was XP the Marines on the beach and then Agile, the army land, I'm sorry, and then Scrum, the, the army landing in because XP tackled all those things that isn't really necessary anymore because everyone does it and we have tools to kind of enforce it. It's interesting. I think that the, the question that you ask has, has got many different points of view. I think reason why XP has stopped evolving, I think to some extent, is this prescriptive nature. You know, it was very, it was very. This is the way you do it, and if you couldn't do it, you couldn't do it, and required a significant amount of skill. I think that was one aspect. I think building a commercial model around uh, around Scrum was made it successful. You know, making people rich from Scrum really helped as well. I think, and I know that doesn't sound that's not very uh, nice to mention it, but but ultimately, we, we, I think that's been a part part of that. But but in part, I think that you're right that that the engineering practices have definitely caught up with the ideas around around Scrum and the ideas of continuous experimentation and this idea that you're following an empirical process, inspect and adapt, you know, at, at that level. And I think things like uh, virtualization initially, now cloud and, and dynamic infrastructure and, you know, the, the containerization and, and things like that are, are really just helping us get better and better from a technology point of view. But ultimately, I still lament that, 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 that XP didn't, didn't, isn't the sort of standard of everybody has to be able to do this. Pairing is used everywhere. You know, I suppose now mob is the, the current cool way of describing pairing at, at scale. Um, I, I do. De- I'm a little depressed about that, but but hopefully they work hand in hand, and maybe they'll re get together as in, as we go from 21 years on. That's what I would hope. And do you do you feel that when just thinking about pair programming in, in general, do you feel that putting those two engineers together, that's something Scrum is not prescribed, but something that's very compatible with Scrum? Oh, very, very compatible. In fact, it, it, it's uh, so previous to Scrum, I worked at a company called uh, Tasktop. Uh, I was the chief product officer, so ended up running engineering product architecture. You know, basically everything that wasn't go to market or administration. You know, that was what my my bent, as it were. And uh, pairing was such a powerful um, mechanism that we used to uh, instill best practice, to share ideas, to increase quality, to solve complex problems. I mean, the list is sort of endless. And I, I think they're incredibly complementary. And I, I, we don't prescribe it in Scrum. Obviously, Scrum is a very lightweight framework. And the reason why it's so lightweight is to make it universally applicable and usable. And, uh, and we focus on the things that are we consider to be the ultimate important things. But, but pairing is very consistent, as are many of the you know, the XP, in fact, all of the XP practices. And I would expect to see a good scrum team using 
expert practices, using a lot of the craftsmanship stuff, using a lot of the DevOps ideas, you know, and, and bringing those all in to ultimately deliver working software continuously and then use inspection and adaption to, to, in, to continuously improve. Yeah, a few years ago, I was on a panel somewhere at some conference, and they asked me about my opinions on Agile and where we, where is gone and what the, you know, the past and the present. And I said the past was XP, and the present is Scrum. And I said one of the reasons why XP was needed was because it had all this prescription. And I said, and it solved a lot of those problems. And I said Scrum. So I said XP focuses on a lot of developer practices, where Scrum focuses a lot on communication. And I felt that that's one of the reasons why Scrum has had such longevity because it focused on communication. Because quite frankly, developers go into the in industry precisely because they don't want to communicate with people. You know, they want to go IM with the people sitting two seconds away or things like that. Yeah, they want to collaborate on a JIRA issue, don't they? And uh, as fabulous as JIRA is, uh, I think that, you know, the, the enforcement of that inspect and adaption, that the, um, the empowerment of the, of the scrum master to facilitate and to enable and to coach, to oil the wheels of that collaboration, the focus of the, one, the product owner making, ensuring that the, the team only is responding to the, to the wants and needs of one individual, even though they are representing obviously all the stakeholders etc the the use of the backlog the the, the the all of those mechanisms that that scrum has and that are described in in the scrum guide uh, ultimately do help developers work in a social way and it's funny um, I, you probably saw that the, the the values were added to the to the scrum guide um, uh, was it the seventh I think it was uh, and what we found with that is that that these these values became very that, that they helped add a sort of moral. I I, can I use the word moral? Is that offensive? I don't know. It's, it's you know in America, I get confused. We have a global we have a global audience, so moral is fine. So morals, the morals, the social system to Scrum, commitment, focus, openness, respect, courage, all those things that as a as a geeky software engineer that I never you know not going on dates, liking Star Trek, wearing T-shirts that were maybe too small or maybe too big. I could never sort of get it right. Um, I didn't really think much about and and those things couple with this inspection and adaption empirical process makes Scrum very, very useful. And, but I still, I'm still disappointed, though, and I don't know if you guys are, done. You know, the, ultimately, Scrum is pretty simple, and it encourages you to deliver done software, right? I mean, we, we, we get that. And at least every 30 days, hopefully a lot, more, a lot sooner than that, you know, and, and, but we still, in most organizations, you, when you say, oh, are you done? They say, yeah, we've done that story or that uh, PBI product backlog item. That's good. And I say, okay, I'm going to release it to production. No, you can't do that. It's not done, done. You're like, what? It would appear that developers have more definitions of the word done than Eskimos have for snow. I mean, it's sort of, what? And I, I still, you know, an XP helped us get to done. And now we sprinkle in some DevOps, hopefully, and we sprinkle in some, some uh, craftsmanship and increase the quality and, and you know, and, and some of those things. And we get to done even sooner. And I, I so I do, I, I am a little depressed about that. And uh, I hope we solve that in the next 20 years. A certain aspect of our business, obviously, is certifications, Dave. Um, you know, on both sides on scrum.org and, and scrum Alliance and so on. Um, what are you, what would you say is the key 
role of certifications in the maturing of various different organizations? So it's interesting because I must admit I was a little cynical about certifications. So when Ken asked me to join Scrum.org last October, he said, um, so October 2015, for people that are listening to this in, in the future, uh, he said, uh, he said uh, you know, come and join. I was like, you know, I'm loving working at Tilestop. I love what we're doing. I really believe in the mission. I, I love doing, well, not doing engineering because I'm not as good as I think I am, but working with people that are far smarter than me doing engineering and then injecting comments and feeling like I, even though they ignore me, that I'm actually making a difference. Uh, and he goes, I said, so tell me a little bit about your business and, you know, the certification thing. Eh? It's all it's all just money making and he and he basically told me a, a few stories and one story stuck in my mind about the importance so this CIO phoned him up after he'd been at the Scrum Alliance a while and said hey um, so one of your guys came in with a CSM and he didn't know Scrum and Ken was like well you know that's not he attended a class we can't promise and it was just an interesting you know, how he came to appreciate the value of certification. You know, he, he wants us to be a profession. He wants us to be not a series of random geezers and gelsers who work together on software, come from many different spaces maybe, but ultimately share some set of values, share some experience, have a standard terminology and language, and maybe some sort of third-party validated me measure of, of, of knowledge. And so... We just announced uh, uh, a restructuring of our PSM, Professional Scrum Master uh, Models. We've got PSM 1, 2, 3 now with the idea that we're actually now, you can build a sort of career learning path or a learning journey, uh, I suppose, around these. And maybe you'll stop at one place and, or, or maybe you'll go further. I don't know. And maybe we'll add other things like ribbons and stuff to help. Uh, and really because we, we, we – we, inspection and adaption is at the heart of Agile, but as a, as a professional, you haven't really got that, you know? So having these certifications, having these assessment vehicles help us do that. And, uh, and they might be not perfect, and, and you can all sneer at them, et cetera, and, and, but, but ultimately they provide us with at least some firm foundations. I know that people that have passed PSM1 uh, at least get the terminology of Scrum as defined in the scrum guide i know that they you know they they know what's in a backlog i know that they understand what it's in a sprint review and if i get a team of people like that then they're more likely to be able to collaborate if i if i get a group of people being taught by somebody and working with somebody that's got psm3 i know it's going to be the same scrum that another person with psm3 that doesn't mean they'll be perfect it doesn't mean they won't make some stupid mistakes but ultimately you've got that sort of consistent knowledge like in the same way as a doctor and maybe not as rigorously yet, maybe one day it will be, a doctor has, you trust them because they've been through doctor school, you know, and uh, you trust them that they've got the similar terminology that when they say an insertion, they know, you know, what that means. Hopefully they don't say that with you because that sounds awfully scary. But, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, I could just, uh, I could just picture going into a clinic and a doctor saying, well, I, 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 yeah, I, I'm, I've got a great GitHub resume. And I've, um, you know, I've done a bit of coding. And uh, so don't, don't worry. I'm just going to, if I open this up and we'll have a look around and, you know, we'll see what we can do. You know, so I, I think that's ultimately what we're trying to do with the, the assessments and certifications at, at scrum.org. And, and Ken's really passionate about that. You know, they're decoupled from the training. You, ha you know, you can get to them via, we hope, in a, through the training. But you can also get to them via experience, the scrum guide, content, you know, those sort of things. 
Yeah, so I, I think you've touched on kind of my philosophy as well about certifications, which is, you know, I, I equate it to, you know, going to, to medical school. You can learn how to cure patients. You can learn all about the science behind medicine and so on. Um, and, and they can even talk about bedside manner in medical school and so forth. But there's no guarantee that you're going to be a, a doctor that people actually want to see or that has, you know, a good rapport with their, with their patients. There's nothing in the world that can really ensure that at the end of the day. No, but, and, and that experience uh, can maybe, you know, people that I, I don't know about, I have a mother-in-law that seems to be the most connected woman in, in Boston. And, uh, so when I, I fell off my, my bicycle on a steel bridge of it, like a, a cheese grater, you know, those kind of bridges. And I chopped my elbow off and shattered it all in the same time. And so my, all the bits fell through the, um, this is probably, gosh, this is, by the way, children look, look away at the moment, you know, luckily we're an audio podcast. Oh gosh, good. Cause I was like, Oh, showing it as I was talking. Anyway, so she said, well, the best elbow doctor in Massachusetts is this person. And she found his cell phone number. God knows how she did it. I think she, she may work for the uh, CIA or something. And, um, and she ended – and I got the best elbow surgeon in Massachusetts who just happened to be on. And it, I mean it was a lot of luck as well, I'll be honest. But ultimately, you know, it's, you know, it's personal networks and the like. So one thing that we would like to do, I think, in, in Scrum.org over time is, is build out those, those networks and to ensure you've got that. Not like LinkedIn, which is like everybody you've ever met ever, you know, and most of them from the Ukraine, um, but but something more tangible where you can sort of associate this this experience, and you can build these networks, and you can add the assessments that ensure consistency, and you can, you know, add some resume, see what people are commenting on, you know, do the, and all kind of provide that so that people can get better at their craft, so that we can improve our profession because. I know, guys, but software is really, really important today. You saw that Tesla, you know, incident where it, it went into the truck because of software. You, you know, the, the pacemakers are software-enabled in, in systems. You know, it, it, it's it's so important that if we can improve our profession, if we can improve quality, we can improve innovation. We can we can change the world. We can so we can do it with world hunger and peace and all that malarkey. I actually believe that. Dave, I remember a conversation I was having with uh, both Ken and Mike Cohn, you know, probably about 10 years ago and kind of in the early days of certifications. And I, like you, was a bit of a skeptic. I was like, ah, oh, I don't need a piece of paper to prove I'm agile. And at one level, you can say that. But when you think about a hiring manager and someone building a team of people they don't know, having some form of certification makes sense because Ken said the certification is a credibility transfer from the certifying organization, which is made up of scrum experts and scrum luminaries to the individual, which would give the hiring manager or the person on the team some type of baseline that this person knows, you know, a certain amount of information and has performed a certain amount of functions. Would you agree with that assessment that that's where certifications, their role is, or do you think the, the role of certifications goes even deeper? I, I, I mean, gosh, I, I wouldn't like to contradict Ken. Obviously, he's my boss. Feel free. We're a family show. Dave gets fired live on air. Um, the, um, I, no, I agree. I think it's, it is that credibility. Also, do you know how many people do a daily, daily scrum every day at the moment, approximately? About a million people, right? 
million people in this world. If you're a hiring manager and you get these resumes coming through, it's not like the good old days when we were young and carefree and before Teslas, when um, uh, you, you know, there was a small group of people doing Agile and everybody knew everybody, so you could kind of trust them because of that. There's a million people doing Agile every day. Million, you're a hiring manager. Can you imagine how hard it is to sift through those people? Or even if they're all awesome, which of course they won't be, how can you ensure they're doing the same kind of agile? How do you how do you know if they conform to the same set of values? How do you know they're not just you know there's there's a lot of snake oil you know that one the worst things about the commercial aspects of agility is it's created this sort of everybody can get rich from it so people are getting rich and not necessarily believing in the values or even knowing anything about agile. So I think it does that credibility association that sort of like that we know you know that this person knows this stuff and and PSM one is a hard test. It's a really hard test. It's you know you have to get eighty five percent. It's eighty questions. It's it's time boxed. It's it's tricky. And not every we have a failure rate of about forty percent um, on first time people taking it, which is you know I mean it sounds awful to say that's admirable, but it is. It actually sets a yardstick, and people study for it and work hard. And 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 I think that that is a very important thing. I think as a hiring manager, getting that consistency coupled with that credibility and that third party validation. Is, uh, is awesome. And it's not perfect yet. I, I agree. And I, we're always trying to improve it. We're always adding new questions. We're always re- looking at our questions, refining them. We're always looking at who, which fails, what questions. We, you know, we, we, we're trying to get better always, but it, at least it gives you a baseline to be able to then look at the other characteristics you're looking for. And as someone from scrum.org, or it doesn't really matter which organization you represent, but someone who's from a certification body, what type of advice would you give somebody that's thinking about their career and, and thinking about getting certified? What, um, not necessarily the advice about study this exam or buy this book or read this, but, but more for the career path. How does the certification line up with a career path? And you could talk specifically about the certifications that scrum.org does, um, how that lines up with their career growth. Well, that's an interesting question. I guess what I would use certifications for if I was, uh, you know, sort of wasn't working at scrum.org where I use certifications to bash myself over the head every day. But if I was, if I was, if I was you know, um, Jay Punter in the world, I would, I, I, would, I would connect it up into my sort of development. I'd use it as a mechanism to encourage me to keep studying and keep learning. The most depressing times I ever have is when I realize that for the last two months, I've not read anything new, not thought of anything, not refreshed, not, you know, and the good thing about, it's like that homework deadline, you know, I, I don't know if you were probably, actually, Daniel, you probably got your homework in before, the, well, you before the deadline, but, but Stephen and I probably were sort of like the last minute because there was a, a, a the, well, uh, more because I was watching Star Trek, but the or writing beginners or purpose symbolic instruction, you know, basic or whatever. What I was on my computer because apparently I didn't have a life according to my mother, and if that computer was a girl, you'd have to marry it. To quote my mum, but the um, but you know, I, the last that sort of deadline of homework really helped, didn't it? It actually made us go. We've got to study. We've really got to study, and we've got to get this out. And and a certification, particularly a you know like this learning, the PSM one, PSM two, PSM three, gives us a mechanism to encourage that. And you know you can build other things around it. Maybe mentoring. Maybe you can you know think about some mentorship. You know getting a mentor or a couple you know, and connecting that into that process. Using and using the the certification as a mechanism or the assessments as a mechanism to 
hey, you know, this time next year, I'd like to be PSM2. How am I going to get there? Let's look at the key sort of areas that you have to learn and think about. Let's look at how I can develop skills and get some examples around that. And then, and, and that's, that's how I like to think of it. And I think that's a, a really interesting approach. And over time, I hopefully we're going to augment, you know, we're, obviously we're, it's Agile Next, we're talking about the future. Um, hopefully we can augment that to allow, you know, you to have a, I don't want to say a platform, but a, a mechanism to help encourage that. Because I tell you what, learning is key, right, guys? I mean, you get that, you know. And if we can encourage people to keep doing it and for, throughout their entire career, then our industry is going to be a lot better, right? Absolutely. And in terms of encouraging people and so on, what do you see the role of how, – how do you see the role of community in all of this? Huge. I, I can't. So we have a PST community. Oh, I got awfully excited. Then I almost fell off my chair. Um, you know when that happens. I, I wish we weren't an audio program at this point. Oh yes, yeah, so it's just. But so we have this professional Scrum trainer community now. Back in the day with Rationified Process, one of the I know of is going boo hiss hiss boo. Fair enough. You've got to have a villain. Um, we had this uh, Ask Rup community it was called and, and it was these people and they and it was the most vibrant community and since then uh, communities I've always I've, you know I've always bought stock in companies and pretended they had them but but generally I've always been a little disappointed by communities you know I, I they've never really lived up to the hype and I always thought that the 21st century was all going to be about virtual communities and we were going to become better as an as a human race because of our knowledge of each other but never really sort of happened uh, and so when I come to scrum.org I, I, uh, I sign up for the Google for the Slack channels and the, I'm like yeah great and all of a sudden I see people helping each other I see somebody going, oh my God, I went into a customer and they said this and I've Googled it, but I still don't really understand it. Can anybody help? And then, you know, and this you know, guy called Don goes, hey, this is, I, I did this, points at some resources, connects up this stuff, creates a, a separate channel, goes, they go off and people subscribe to it if they're interested in it, you know, the power of Slack and all that. And off they trust, uh, you know, some of our, and sometimes, we, you know, Scrum.org, we, we sort of look at it to make sure that everybody's working together. That is an amazing thing. And RP, I think one of the serious values about becoming a professional Scrum trainer isn't the fact you can deliver the training classes, isn't the face-to-faces, or maybe it is the face-to-faces because they're part of the community. And I think that's the reason why the community is, is so strong. We enforce a face-to-face once a year. Um, we run them around the world so you don't have to travel masses of miles to go to one. But that, that sort of helps. And we have people that travel to different face-to-faces so they can meet. Oh, I've been working a lot with um, Ralph and he's in Germany and he's going to Stuttgart for that one. So I'm going to come and we're going to meet. And, and we sort of at Scrum.org sort of enable this. We facilitate it. Occasionally we encourage it. Occasionally we manage it, meaning, boy, you, stop saying so much. Um, you know, that in, in a nice way. I mean, that's only my, my English approach to it. Where we have people that are much nicer than me that do that. So, it, it, and it's really powerful. And I think if I can somehow take that, just to talk about the future, if we can take that and put a place where people can trust the content and the ideas and the comments and discussions, couple that with sort of, I want to call it education, but content for want of a better name, knowledge transfer stuff. Couple that, uh, surround that by certification and assessment to ensure we know who knows what and have some sort of baseline. Just think how powerful that would be. Community is, you learn from others and having that in place, if you're a lone scrum master in an organization full of waterfallers, 
is, is would be so helpful. And I, I agree that the community itself is actually pushing the evolution of the entire, I'll call it the agile movement, which of course Scrum and Scrum.org is part of. So with that, is what are your thoughts on where it's all going? What are your where are your thoughts on how Scrum and Agile will evolve? So I, I'm here at uh, Agile 2016 in, in in Atlanta, Georgia, eating peaches and stuff, and um, uh, and and so there's been obviously a lot of discussions about that, and uh, I, it's a it's a tricky one because. I think there's many dimensions to, to that question. And I think, one, we are seeing Agile spread out. You know, we're seeing it in other places. I accidentally attended an Agile and marketing talk. I, I, I didn't mean to. I just was doing some work in the corner and then was surrounded and felt rude leaving. And, but it was really interesting. It wasn't something that I'm naturally interested in. It's not something I'd go to normally. But it was interesting how they were applying Scrum yeah, it was actually Scrum in marketing and how they were using the mechanisms of inspect and adapt and, and how software was playing such a key role in, in that. So I, I see, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a breadth of usage and, and that's cool. Obviously, Scrum.org is less interested in that. We're interested in basically delivering products. That's what we are, software-intensive products. That's what we care about. And so I see, you know, there's sort of three main things that are, that are changing. I think Scrum is improving and getting better the values was something uh measurement we see ebms coming out from scrum dot well we released it a long time ago but uh, evidence-based measurement you know this how do we measure value i think we need to be better at that i think we need to evolve and, and improve that sort of measure the lean analytics kind of work needs to fold in in fact uh, you know lean startup and the work of uh, mr uh, mr eric reese and mr stephen blank needs to and, and and a lot of other people now needs to be folded in i see a lot more about that in fact it's, it's kind of interesting organizations because scrum I coined a phrase when I was an analyst called Water Scrum Fall. And that was really the, how Scrum was happening in most organizations. It was Scrum, but we only plan once a year. Scrum, but we don't release frequently. Customers don't want to. And there was a sort of water, Scrum, and then fall around it. And what we're seeing is that it's almost impossible to grow Scrum out of these organizations. You know, it can be still successful, but it's not as successful. You don't get the business agility. So what, I'm, what we're seeing is that a lot of organizations have accepted that and are building separate organizations. Uh, Gartner obviously calls it bimodal. There's a lot of bad press and good press about that. But um, uh, John Cotter is talking about this different way of organizing. So I see agile organizations springing up. And what's interesting is that they won't be like hierarchical. They won't be like the organizations that you, you and I worked in. Our kids are going to work in these very relatively small, very focused, very agile, very simple in terms of value types of organizations where agile isn't a special thing. It is the thing. And good engineering practices, good standards, everybody's going to be certified and assessed, all working in the professional community, delivering value to their, to their customers, very customer-centric. And, and I think that is, is, the, is the world that we're, that we're moving to. As we look over the next year or so um, on the horizon, what's, what's in store for Dave next? <laughs> uh, surviving working with Ken. That's, what I, that's, my, sort of, that's my personal mission. Um, but uh, no, uh, I, I, at Scrum.org, I, I, I want to be championing and growing our profession. And uh, I'm, 
so many years ago, I was a, I was an analyst programmer. Remember that title? I don't think we use it anymore. And I was I was I went to one of these motivational. My, the organisation, the insurance company I was, organised a motivational speaker to come in. And now English motivational speakers are very different to American motivational speakers. They come in and go, "Jolly well done. How are you doing? You know, it's all very low key and you know, stiff upper lip and whatever you do, don't see them. Don't let anybody see you cry. You know, that kind of motivational speaker, not a American. Yeah, you're all brilliant. Anyway, one thing he said that was really interesting. He said, you've got to get a personal mission because that can help make a lot of decisions a lot simpler. My personal mission was to help our profession build software just a little bit better. It was initially to help our profession build software a lot better, and then I met some of the people and down, downsized a little. Pivoted, I think, would be the cool way of describing it. Anyway, the, um, and that continues to drive me. And, you know, and my job's at Eva Jakobsen at Forrester Research, you know, building software at Tasktop. It's all about that, really. And, and Scrum.org is, I finally found I've got a place with a huge community, a huge respected brand, a, a, a access coupled with, you know, this fabulous group of professional Scrum trainers connected to a broader agile community, people like you guys that just rock, you know, and can teach me so much and can help me amplify that to the community better. I want to do that. Now, whether that's a year, whether that's five years, I don't know. I want us to build that platform. I want us to help this profession and, and help people build software just a little bit better because, as I said earlier, I think that software is – we are in the software world. I know nobody says we're in the data world, but try working with data without some software, guys. It's just ones and noughts, really. And um, I think that, that if we can do that, we can, we can change the world and, and solve many of the things that are stopping us from, from evolving as a, as a society. Software is like the industrial, we, we are in the software revolution, like the industrial revolution. And, and it's just so important, guys. I, I just, ah, it just shocks me that people don't realize it and governments don't realize it. And, you know, and STEM obviously is incredibly important, but ultimately to do any of that stuff, you need to be able to write good software and good disciplined software delivery. And, and, uh, and I know that you guys have got, uh, you know, I, I obviously Googleized you. I know what you talk, you've been talking about and it's very consistent with that. And I'm hoping that we can, we as an industry can sort of get to that next step. I feel like we're about to, but there's still a lot of noise and things like safe, which, oh, and things, you know, just getting in the way. And I just, yeah. Yeah, and they're all part of that evolution, right? So at some point, it's, you know, even Scrum itself, right? Like, it, you know, it, it all will evolve, right? And so I think you're right. Is, right, you know, briefly, I, I, I've done a lot of research. You said you Googled, you might have saw it, like, a, you know, my How Tomorrow Works piece, which has been yeah, broadcast. Yeah, I read that, that, yeah. And it's interesting because you incorporated it into your comments about this, you know, our, our killed children who work at vastly smaller organizations. And I, I feel that as we're moving from the industrial revolution to the software revolution, what I didn't realize, and I did, and I thought maybe 10 or 15 years ago and now I realize it I didn't think of it back then was you know the guy on the farm didn't really go into London to go work in the factory he just kind of died off and that's kind of what's got to happen I mean it's the truth right and that's got what that has to be what happens with the auto workers and all the people that are like over 50 that don't get it, like that kind of a thing, right? Like just come from that old world. So I used to think, oh no, it's going to be this love, peace and harmony. We have this revolution and everyone's happy. And it's more like, well, yeah, the, you, the revolutionaries are happy. <laughs> um, so it, it will take a generation to iron out in my opinion. Do you think that's the reason – sorry, this is a huge comment now. Do you think that's the reason why we're having this sort of us and them moment in our society? Do you think that, that some of that is in part because 
because of the this 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 underlying change that's happening that we that and and because if you look at people that vote for and I and I'm not you know I'm English but I do have an American passport but I have no idea what's going on politically but if you look at the people that vote for Trump or for Brexit or for you know these things they tend to be the older people and they're people that sort of want to have want to sort of disconnect from the world they want to go back to a 1950s USA or a 1950s UK that where they believe UK. Oh, well yeah maybe maybe <laughs> that's a worrying worrying thing though the Victorian age was a fabulous age we had they had steam engines everywhere i mean how cool would that have been but the but the but the point is i just do you think it's part of that? And do you think we just have to, the next 10 years, we have to get through it? And I hate to say, let them die off, but a little bit of that. Or, or do you think it's something different? Yeah, 100% agree. As I, I've actually made the argument, I was talking to my business partners, and as we're, we're gearing up to raise a new venture fund. And, um, and we said, what are some of the themes that we can talk to? And we said, well, the same thing that pow- empowers Donald Trump, both from his message and his tactics, because I think he's brilliant on Twitter. Like, if, if you really want a good education, watch how he just destroys Hillary Clinton on Twitter. And I'm, Daniel is more in the Trump camp. I am not. But I actually think he's brilliant on social media, which was surprising. I didn't realize that when it all started, right? I realized that later on. But both the tactics, but then also the things that are fueling most of his supporters. And the, is, so the things that power Donald Trump are the same thing that are empowering like Syrian refugees, which is the same thing that's empowering the brig exit, right? So it's it's all interrelated. It has to do with just how we used to be very siloed and now we're kind of more networked. Things used to be very proprietary. Now we're open source. But more importantly, we've gone through this transitionary period where a lot of jobs just don't exist anymore and a lot of things don't just exist anymore and a lot of things need to be regulated and deregulated. So it's a confusing time and there's power grabs by the old, power grabs by the new. So it's just uh, that's my interpretation of why we're in this crazy mess and why it probably will continue for another five or 10 years. My perspective on it and the analogy I like to use is, you know, I've got like five kids. Okay. And if I, if I was like out donating all my time and money to charity, um, but not actually taking care of my own family, wouldn't that seem a little odd? Right. So make sure your own house is in, in good um, order and, and functioning properly before you start reaching out to everyone else's family. That's, that's kind of the idea. Um, I see it as, and so I think what Trump is the way, what I take away from it is Trump is really trying to get America's house in order before we start reaching back out to everyone else. I think it's incredibly complicated. I think the world we live in is incredibly complicated. And I think it's the social media, the, mater- the mechanisms that we have to communicate are so, they're huge amplifiers, but they're also huge restrictors. Because as you amplify the signal and increase the amount is there, the amount of signal, but you, you're, you can't amplify the reception. So you end up having to reduce the amount of information that's actually in each of the things you amplify. And so because of that, we end up in this world where we accentuate the certain things and you sort of miss context and you miss – and it's very, very, very worrying. And I, I don't know. I mean I have two children and, and it just – I'm hoping that in 10 years it's more like the world that I hoped we would be in 10 years, you know? <laughs> I think we need people that, that actually the people that don't want to be president. That's who we need. We need people that can that can build bridges. We I almost want this presidential position to be non-party affiliated. That would make it so much better. And I know it's I know it's impossible, but uh, but it would make it so much better. I don't know. 
Well, Dave, that's that's great perspective, and we thank you for taking our, your time to be on our show. It was a great conversation. It was great being here, gentlemen. You're always you, you guys are you guys rock, and it was great spending some time with you. Next week on Agile Next, we have Bill Wagner from Humanitarian Toolbox. A big Agile Next thank you to our sponsors, Fresco Capital and Applebrook Consulting. Visit Fresco Capital at frescocapital.com and Applebrook Consulting at apple-brook.com. We hope to see you next week on Agile Next. In the meantime, check out our website at agilenext.tv. 